Well, here we are. It is time, Simba. If you understand that reference, you might be about the age where we should be working together. It's possible. But it is now one of three times a year that I'm accepting clients for my freedom framework, overcoming food sensitivities and increasing energy without unnecessary restriction. My goal for my one-on-one clients is to take them through frameworks and explore tools for achieving 50, 80, 90% of their goals in just a few months and show them how to continue to heal on their own so they don't need me anymore. Honestly, I think we're doing great one-on-one work here, helping women that would otherwise be falling through the cracks, thinking that they're just aging, that they're just moms, that they just, and it may be true that they just have stress when really those stress hormones and their other core systems just really need some serious support and some serious love to serve them for years to come without symptoms. So if you'd like to clear inflammation, eczema, food sensitivities, or improve energy and brain clarity, I'd love to chat with you. You can book a call with me at kristabigler.com forward slash FSS, kristabigler.com forward slash FSS. And that link will be in the show notes. When we experience some sort of emotion that is really charging, something such as sadness, anger, anxiety, any of those lower vibrational type of emotional energies, this is going to contribute to disruption over time at a cellular level. Stress is the inflammation that robs us of life, energy, and happiness. Our typical solutions for gut health and hormone balance have let a lot of us down. We're over-medicated and underserved. At The Less Stressed Life, we're a community of health-savvy women exploring solutions outside of our traditional Western medicine toolbox and training to raise the bar and change our stories. Each week, our hope is that you leave our sessions inspired to learn, grow, and share these stories to raise the bar in your life and home. Access to functional or specialized medicine testing and standard blood work is a big piece of personalizing care plans to help our clients succeed. But getting accounts with multiple labs and ordering and tracking results from many different web portals slows efficiency by bogging us down in admin work. This is why I'm completely obsessed with our podcast sponsor, Rupa Health. It's a single portal that allows you to order from over 20 specialty labs in one incredibly simple dashboard. I'm talking less than 30 seconds to set up your free account and about 30 seconds to order the labs you need. All the results are in one place and I can securely send clients their results with a click of a button. A big advantage for our clients is that standard blood work can be ordered for almost two thirds less than other direct to consumer lab sites. Rupa is a lab concierge, so they send the lab invoices on your behalf if a client pays for their own labs. They help them get set up with a lab draw, navigate testing questions, and they provide the requisition forms. It's literally a dream. Go sign up for free to help streamline your practice and simplify ordering labs for your clients at rupahealth.com. That's R-U-P-A health.com. And let them know I sent you when you sign up. You can also check out the show notes for this episode for a short video walkthrough of how I use Rupa Health in my own practice. All right, today on The Less Stressed Life, I've invited Heather Duranja, who's a registered dietitian, nutritionist, healer, podcast host, and cognitive behavioral specialist. She helps individuals break emotional patterns, stop self-sabotage, and develop conscious behaviors for healthy life. We're going to talk all about trauma today, changing up our brains so we can be successful. Welcome, Heather. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be here and talk all things nervous system, brain, trauma, emotions, all the good stuff which you obviously learned all about in dietetic school. Just kidding. And that's what I want to talk about first. I want to talk about how, um, and that's actually why I was intrigued when I started following you and, or maybe I was following you before and you changed your name because you had kind of a different niche, I think, and you were doing different things before you made a decently big shift into this cognitive behavioral and trauma world. There could be a lot there. Why don't you tell us like, what were you doing before and what caused this transition and when did it happen? So for myself, I became a clinical dietitian because at an early age of 18, I got diagnosed with an autoimmune kidney disease, a chronic kidney disease. And I was told that I only had five years until I would either need dialysis or transplant. So that's what led me down the path of pursuing education to become a registered dietitian. I was 
obsessed with the clinical world. I wanted to be in a hospital setting and really helping patients who had diabetes and cardiovascular disease and metabolic syndrome and all of the things. So I started practicing in that world. And week after week, I would come back to see patients after sharing all of this mind-blowing, motivating information with them, and they wouldn't do anything. I'd be like, seriously, no changes. Nope, nothing. So after a while of this, I started feeling really disheartened, like, oh my gosh, I cannot do this. Like, this is killing me. This is not feeding my sole purpose. So it got me thinking and it really kind of intrigued me to, well, if this isn't about lack of education, then why do we have the unhealthiest population in the world despite the fact that we have the most advanced technology resources available to us. So this is when I started pursuing a master's degree and really diving into that human behavior component. And so after I started getting into that and understanding that, I started kind of tying it to myself and my own life experiences and how what I had gone through as a child impacted my outcomes as an adult and really looking for patterns that I could identify and how these patterns were reflecting in certain behavioral characteristics and whatnot. So after about 10 years of working as a registered dietitian, working with patients, I had niched my business to really focus on individuals with autoimmune disease. I found that these individuals tended to be highly motivated to really want to make the change. And that was an audience that really just captured my heart as being one of these individuals myself and what I was capable of doing. So as I start working and solely focusing on autoimmune disease, I start recognizing that there's this trend and the trend has to do with stress. And we start dissecting, you know, all of the different stressors that are contributing to why we're seeing such a prevalence in autoimmune disease popping up in our culture and our society, along with digestive health disorders. And so it's just undeniable. We cannot dismiss how thoughts, how stress, how all of these, basically what's happening here in this field is the determinant for what's happening at a cellular level in the body. And there just aren't enough people educating and sharing information. So that's when I transitioned. That's kind of how that transition occurred. What year were we in for this transition? Oh, gosh. So it would be, let's see, starting around 2010. And then it was probably 2019 is when that transition really started to occur. And for me, you know, being transparent, there was a lot of stuff that I was going through in my personal life that was having an impact on my physical health. And I couldn't deny how all of this was connected and how it really stemmed from childhood, if that makes any sense. No, it makes perfect sense. And just to back up into your story, a girl after my heart who was a past kidney dietitian, you kind of spoke to everyone's heart that's ever been a clinician, right? It's like, oh my gosh, this is so powerful. Oh, not motivated. And so then you get to motivated individuals and then you're like, oh, this is like such a roadblock, which is where, I mean, you're on a podcast by this name. I like to just mention that I named the podcast this because it was a synonym for inflammation. It doesn't really Mm -hmm. matter now. It didn't attract different people. It's just, I was trying to widen it, which is not really the goal, whatever. And we're on that topic, right? We're on the topic of inflammation of all these, because we have all these stressors. But the biggest concern is that what's going on up here when you were pointing to your head is like controlling so much of everything else that can't be skipping over it. And so the biggest issue I have in practice, and I'm sure you had in practice that you said was that if you can't deal with that, if we aren't addressing that, it's going to be such a self-limiting piece to our healing. So this is really frustrating as someone who likes results, right? Right. And so on to that, you know, topic to speak a little bit more to that. In 2012, I got diagnosed with cervical cancer. 
And when I got this diagnosis, I was absolutely infuriated. I was like, I'm the dietitian. How did this happen to me? Like, I'm healthy. I am the picture of health. I've got my nutrition down. I have my exercise down. This doesn't make any sense to me. So that's when I really had to kind of take a step back and be a little bit more open-minded to trying to uncover what the root cause was that allowed for me to have cervical cancer. And so at the time, I had just gone through an absolutely horrific divorce and custody battle. Then I was in school getting a master's degree. I was being full-time mom to two teenage daughters. I was working full-time as a clinical dietitian during the day. And then nights and weekends, I was trying to make ends meet by being a server slash bartender. And so at this time, I was spread so thin. I was sleeping two to four hours a night. I was overusing caffeine as a means to just help me get through my days. This had a really negative impact on my gut health. And so ultimately, what I ended up really discovering is that I had contracted HPV. And because my immune system was weakened from all of these factors, my body didn't have the ability to fight this virus off like it should have. And so as a result, it went into cervical cancer that was pretty far gone. And so when my doctor discovered this and says, you know, we're going to do surgery and then we want to follow up with chemo and radiation just to be safe and make sure that we've completely eradicated it. I said, okay, well, I'm willing to go through with the surgery, but I absolutely refuse to do chemo and radiation. Well, you know, my doctors started shaming me and really harassing me about this. And I said, look, my choice is because I know firsthand that I have not been leaning into all of the factors that would have allowed for my immune system to be healthy and resilient to fight that off. So I feel confident that if I can really focus on these other components of my lifestyle, it will help manage what I've had going on here. And so, you know, luckily for me, I took that approach and I'm happy to say that I still am cervical cancer free, which is very exciting. And I'm living a better quality of life and discovered all kinds of things in that process. So it really was a lesson that came with a blessing at the time. I couldn't see that, but, you know, fast forward later on, I realized why I had to go through all of that and and the gift of all of that. What year was this? This was 2012. Yeah, Mm. 2012. And so for me, this was when the real challenge came in. This is when all of my subconscious habits that were so deeply ingrained into me really started to show up. And I started to have awareness around how these were my blocks. These were the things that were standing in the way from allowing me to ultimately have complete thriving in all areas of my life, physically, spiritually, mentally, and emotionally. This is heavy. So (laughs) your story is like a big deal. And there's about a decade where we're, you know, traversing to kind of get to where you are now a little more than that. So, you know, it's always like easy to look at where people are right now, but their chapter that they're on right now, there was a lot that built up to that. Okay. So now we're in 2021 and we're over here helping people break their emotional patterns with a lot of life experience training. So let's kind of get into that because I feel like there's a lot of directions I can go here. But first of all, maybe we should talk about like, you have a lot of this personal experience. and If you want to continue to weave it in, that's a beautiful thing. But let's talk about trauma, you have kind of spoken to this, but like you had all these things going on from childhood that you were becoming aware were affecting what was going on with your healing at that time. Like unpack that for us, help us understand how trauma gets trapped in the body and creates these psychological symptoms. So I'm going to give you a little story and then I'll go into the whole like chemical reaction of stress and how that plays out in the physical body. So at a very early age, I started having a lot of tummy aches. I constantly felt sick, had a lot of nausea, you know, really couldn't eat food without pain being associated. It was just a very uncomfortable experience. So I would complain to my mother that, you know, I wasn't feeling good. I'd have tummy aches. She'd take me to the doctors. The doctors would do an evaluation and they would say, we can't find anything wrong. It all must be in our head. 
you know, maybe you're not giving her enough attention. And so ultimately my reality started to get gaslit. You know, I had the doctor saying, nope, it's all in her head. Then mom and dad reinforcing it's in your head. It's not really happening. Sit there and eat, blah, blah, blah. So ultimately what this did was taught me how to not trust, not trust anyone and not trust myself. I couldn't trust myself because I was ultimately feeling sick. That was real. But then I was being told that it wasn't real. So this created a lot of confusion and ultimately led to a lot more anxiety. So I got diagnosed with anxiety and depression at, I want to say around age 11. That's when they started medicating me. And so whenever we are in a situation where we do not feel safe, okay, and I can use my childhood experience as an example, I grew up in a very chaotic home where there was constant just screaming, yelling, disruption, arguments. My mom, when she would come home, you know, nothing would ever be good enough. She'd be yelling at us about X, Y, Z, blah, blah, blah. So I would immediately be in a constant state of like, you know, oh my gosh, uh, tensing up, tightening up, stomach hurting. And so what was happening in that moment is that the second I heard my mom's footprint hit that floor and the stuff coming out of the mouth, it immediately threatened my well-being. Am I in trouble? (laughs) You know, what is the consequence going to come from X, Y, Z? So in my brain, I was in a perceived state of being threatened. And this initiates a very specific nervous system response in the body called our central nervous system, which is our fight or flight. This shuts down our parasympathetic nervous system, which is our rest and digest. So typically... What would happen is mom would come home, I would be a mess worrying about what wasn't done right and what kind of trouble I was going to be in. And then we'd all have to go sit at the table and have dinner. (laughs) And so there was physically a chemical reaction going on in my body that was making it very difficult for me to actually consume that food because my system had been shut down. So I would sit at that kitchen table and my heart would be, you know, be beating very fast. I would be taking very shallow breaths. Well, as a result of what is happening physically from this chemical reaction that is occurring, this is considered a priority pathway. There is no way to stop it. It's going to automatically happen the second the brain perceives that it's under threat. So we release things like cortisol, epinephrine, norepinephrine into the bloodstream, and this causes the blood to become more acidic. When the blood becomes more acidic, this threatens our heart, lungs, and brain even further. Therefore, we have to neutralize the bloodstream as an attempt to stay alive. So in that process, we start pooling minerals from our bones to help buffer the acidity of our blood. And we create what are called metabolic acids. So these metabolic acids are floating in the bloodstream and eventually they make their way to the mitochondria of our cells. This is the powerhouse of our cells. And I want to use the analogy of a magnet. So we have positives and negatives that are in constant play inside the mitochondria of the cell. But when we're constantly in a perceived state of stress, we're going to be constantly producing these metabolic acids that are then going to create disruption of pluses and minuses inside that cell. And as a result, the cell is not going to function as optimally as it could. And this is where chronic disease starts to present over time. So we have to do a better job of educating two individuals that this is a real thing. When we experience some sort of emotion that is really charging, something such as sadness, anger, anxiety, any of those lower vibrational type of emotional energies, this is going to contribute to disruption over time at a cellular level. I think, does that answer the question? It's great. It's wonderful. I think to myself, How did you realize that we can kind of summarize that, but I'm thinking through your story was 
really important there. And how long did it take you to figure out that was kind of a starting place for your story and how things started to manifest from there? Because you said this a little bit in different words earlier. I've never seen an autoimmune diagnosis that where stress wasn't like a huge piece of the straw that broke the camel's back. Never seen it. Never seen it. And you work with, like you primarily worked with autoimmune issues. So I would be curious if I'm guessing you see the same thing, which is why you're where you are. And it's really interesting because what I find with clients are the ones that have the most resistance, because another thing happens when we get diagnosed with autoimmune disease, when we have autoimmune disease, it is such a huge commitment to this disease because we have all of these symptoms that are disrupting our lives and keeping us from being able to maintain some form of normalcy. So we are exhausting ourselves going to doctor's appointments, having lab draws, trying out new protocols to try and feel better. And as a result, we get really attached to the identity of the disorder, whatever the diagnosis is. And then subconsciously, we find ourselves in resistance to actually letting go of the habits and behaviors that are contributing to our unfortunate symptoms because subconsciously, the brain can't differentiate between good or bad. It's just collected an identity that it feels safe with. Does that make sense? It does. And I want to reiterate it a little bit because... This is the issue is like, there is resistance here. It's very hard to change something that you have laid a foundation or a pathway for. And if you're constantly surrounded by, like you said, the lower vibrational, emotional energies, this negativity, and that's Mm -hmm. all you see that becomes the normal And your body has come up with ways to compensate and try to feel safe. But let's dig into this resistance piece a little bit further because the This becomes challenging because there's plenty of science for it, but it doesn't feel extremely tangible sometimes, right? Right. And so that becomes a bit of the challenge. It's like, how do I identify this? So let's go through the resistance piece first. What's going on there? Yeah. And so, you know, more often than less, most people don't realize that they are in resistance because they have no awareness that they're actually the problem. (laughs) You know, for me, I had to really be in the thick of it at, you know, of decades of drawn out certain behavioral patterns for me to recognize and say, Hey, you know what, Heather, (laughs) oddly enough, the only common denominator here is you. (laughs) So it forced me to be in a desirable realization Yeah, you know, where I had to turn that mirror around to myself and say, how am I contributing to the outcomes? Why am I contributing to the outcomes? And just, you know, to make things really clear to the audience, it's very difficult to start hearing that inner guidance in such a chaotic, crazy environment. So we have to intentionally carve out and create alone time, silence for us to be able to truly access that inner guidance. Okay. And if we, do we have time? I, I want to give you a little story about that. Yeah, of course. Okay. I, I want to reiterate. It's hard to identify or create or like to listen to inner guidance in chaos. Yeah. And I call this bulldozing. This is my recent thing. It's like, we're just kind of bulldozing through life. Like you can't be self-aware if you're so busy and you can't well, stop being self to be self-aware. We're overstimulated. We're just overstimulated. We don't have the ability of really taking and narrowing into whatever it is that needs our attention because we've got so many things picking at us, so many things coming at us throughout the day. So we have to be very intentional. If you want to get to the root of your problems, if you want to be able to truly gain answers, we have to go within. We have to get silence. We have to remove all the chaos and the noise from around us. So in 2018, I gave myself an opportunity to do just that. And I went into 15 weeks of isolation up in Northern California and like Mount Shasta area where nature is. And this is where I truly had my biggest breakthroughs. This is where I, for the first time in my entire life, had been alone. You know, at this time I was in my early forties and had never spent a moment by myself. So this was a very frightening 
(laughs) very horrifying experience to walk into. The discomfort, the anxiety that I felt those first few days of being with myself was a bit overwhelming. I remember thinking, oh my God, screw this. I'm packing my bag and going back home and just going to keep going on with the chaos. But I pushed through it. And I will never forget my biggest breakthrough. I One morning, I was sitting in front of the mirror, putting my makeup on, and I had this voice like come to me and it says, you know, Heather, you know how you think all of your abandonment and rejection issues stem from your biological father? And I'm like, yes. And it goes on to say to me, what if I told you that there was a different story? And I'm like, I'm listening. Tell me more. And then it goes on to tell me how... Basically, when I was an infant, shortly after I was born, my mother was going through a very traumatic experience. She, her best friend, whom was also her brother, got killed in a motorcycle accident, and this was devastating. Her father was an alcoholic and an abuser. Her mother was a codependent. She had an eight-year-old brother. And then me, this tiny little infant who just came into the picture and a husband who, you know, preferred his drugs and alcohol. So my mom was overwhelmed, very traumatized and did not have the ability to nurture me and give me what I needed at that time. So this was the true root for all of the rejection and abandonment, limiting beliefs, programs I had been operating out of, specifically when it came to uh, romantic relationships and the choices and the patterns that played out with that. This was really a phenomenal awareness because in that moment, I was like, wow, that sounds pretty practical. Like that really makes sense. And so towards the very last few days of my duration up North, I invited my mother to come out. And when she did, I presented her with the same story I just told you and said, you know, is this true? And this was the first time in my mom's life that she wasn't defensive, that she didn't, you know, act erratically. And she just looked at me and said, yes, I couldn't even pick you up to hold you and feed you and love you. And I couldn't even take care of myself. She was like, it was devastating. And in this moment, I physically saw shame and guilt and all of this anger and resentment towards self dissolve from my mother for her being able to actually speak that truth and be honest, you know, with herself and myself of emotionally where she was at at that time and how that impacted her interpretation of the kind of mother she was and also the kind of care I was receiving that then unfortunately, you know, did play a big role in adult behaviors. That is an intense story. I have some questions that I can't continue until I understand. 15 weeks? Did you say 15 weeks? Yes, it was 15 weeks. Mm -hmm. What possessed you to land on 15 weeks alone? Not like a week or two weeks or three weeks or five weeks. 15 weeks is a substantial amount of time to commit to, to be alone. What, like, why did you do that? So I had hit rock bottom. I had, you know, for the fourth time in my lifetime, been in a narcissistic codependent relationship where I completely lost myself. So for me, this was one of those rock bottom places where I really had never felt more lost, more confused. To be perfectly honest, I was suicidal at that time. I really had just lost all hope for life. I thought I was fundamentally flawed. I didn't think that, you know, I was worthy and deserving and that I could live the kind of life and have a loving relationship and all of those things. So when I decided that I had to be honest with myself and recognize that I played some role in this. I had to take some responsibility for something. Otherwise, I wouldn't have this track record of the same thing over and over and over. However, with each one of the situations, it just got worse. You know, it was even more detrimental than the time before. And so I didn't have a specific time frame. I knew that I needed to go for a minimum of, you know, two to three months. I needed to give myself a significant amount of time to discover who I actually was, what I wanted in my life. 
And that was really frightening because I had never entertained any of those ideas before. I was so busy in my life surrounded with chaos and taking care of everyone else that I really couldn't answer those questions. I I didn't know where to start. So for me, being alone was frightening. But then I discovered that if I shifted my perspective and I thought about the young version, the little girl, Heather, who had so much responsibility and didn't get to have an exploratory, you know, fun, exciting childhood, what would she want to do? And that's how I started to cultivate that relationship with myself was really trying to honor that inner child and have her guide me towards who my truths actually were. Mm, This is a thing, right? Like inner child meditation and work, correct? Yes. It's like a area of work people can go through. Well, yeah, because the truth is, is that all of the traumas that we experience that then shape our adult behaviors, they typically occur between the ages of birth and eight years old. So it's that inner child that didn't feel safe due to some traumatic experience that is truly the gatekeeper of who we are and how we're showing up behaviorally as an adult. Well, and you had at this point done, I believe, your education about. I don't know what the education was that you did. You said at this point, you do cognitive behavioral things. Right. So I got my master's in what we call, it's called, it's really, really long, but it basically, it just specializes, dives into human behavior and understanding how humans show up in life, why we choose to take the actions that we do. And a large component of that is neurological training from our environment without our awareness. So most people, most adults are going through life and they're absolutely miserable. However, what they're doing is they're defending habits and behaviors that were never theirs to begin with. And they don't have the self-awareness to recognize that they're defending with their life things that were never theirs to begin with that are making them so miserable. This is where shame and self-sabotage come into play that help keep us stuck in our subconscious, unhealthy behavioral patterns. Mm -hmm. Okay. I want to go into how people start to identify, realize their own trauma when they don't have 15 weeks alone in Northern California. But also, what do you think Mm -hmm. the voice was from? (laughs) I can't move on. The story is gripping me. And and it's fun to be able to talk to the author of the story. (laughs) Yeah. So to be perfectly honest with you, this is something that I have pondered over a lot. Okay. What, where, what was this voice? So I can't really answer the question, but what I can tell you are here are some of the things I've entertained. It was my inner child, that inner child speaking to me, allowing me to have a memory that I wasn't consciously able to do from that time frame. It could have been my higher self, you know, the bigger version of myself saying, hey, I'm going to drop you a line, sister. We're going to help you out to kind of get this thing moving forward. It could have been a spirit guide. It could have been a guardian angel. It could have been my inner child. I mean, there's so many different possibilities. All I know is that this information felt more like truth than anything I had ever been exposed to. Like there was something about receiving this information that went, that makes a lot of sense. And most importantly, it also helped me shift my perspective around my mother and her behavior when I was a child. It allowed for me to really view her in a much more compassionate, loving, and understanding place. All of the anger and resentment I harbored towards her for her aggressive behavior immediately dissolved because I got to really, in that moment, experience what she was going through, be able to empathize with how difficult it truly must have been for her having this new baby and feeling so much grief. I'm sure that that was an extreme challenge. Mm, There's a lot here. Okay. So back to how, as an audience member, how can we start to realize our own traumas if we don't have these 15 weeks to unpack these, I mean, where do you start? How do you realize? Because self-awareness is our biggest challenge first, right? Right. 
Yeah. And and this is such a fabulous question. And I think that part of it is this, there is such a huge stigma around trauma. So when we talk about trauma, most of the time people, they think very horrific things like, you know, sexual assault, physical abuse, um, tragic death of loved ones at a very early age, being locked in a closet The list is pretty intense and extreme that comes to mind when we think about trauma. But what we need to understand is that trauma could be something as simple as you being a two-year-old infant who wants mom to pick them up. Mom is standing at the kitchen sink doing dishes. She's got her rubber gloves on and soap all over her hands. And for her to pick you up, she could potentially put you in harm's way. So she shoes you away and says, not right now, I'm doing the dishes. Well, in that moment, we don't have the emotional maturity to rationalize and say, oh, mom's busy. It's unsafe. I'll just go entertain myself until she's done and then get the hug that I wanted. Instead, in that moment, we interpret that information as I'm not wanted. I'm not worthy. I'm not deserving. And that's where those core beliefs start setting in into that autopilot mode that you know, computer system that's downloaded. I like that you brought this up again. You said some software earlier, and I think that's such a good way to say it. It's like, this is your programming. So I think the answer here is that we all have trauma. And so realizing it is, can be a challenge when we're trying to dig into that space in our life. Where do you suggest people start if they're trying to identify this as a roadblock for them? Yeah. So I think that just creating some alone time. So for instance, maybe it's creating 30 minutes at lunchtime for you to eat your meal by yourself in silence and allow for you to experience, you know, no interruptions from outside. This means really putting the phone down or, you know, leaving the phone at your desk or whatever, completely disconnecting for 30 minutes, going out into nature for 30 minutes and just sitting there. Just allowing yourself permission to have the thoughts come and go without the judgment. It's typically when we start to criticize and judge the thoughts that we're having, where we start getting into really bad old, you know, autopilot habits. So just trying to give ourselves enough grace and compassion to sit through the 30 minutes of silence without distractions and know it's going to be extremely uncomfortable. But don't dismiss anything that surfaces because there's a lot of things that are trying to be brought to our attention that we don't have the capability of being able to recognize because we've got all of these distraction and things that are taking away our attention. Yeah. I mean, I can think about my own days and on the days that I have a lot of clients between those days in the week it's a struggle to decompress out of all of those things. I remember working in a clinic that was a 20 minute drive and I, uh, one summer, and I just remember I was getting home and for like not realizing that the radio wasn't on because I needed all of that space to let everything go from the day. And so sometimes I just need like a context, but I'm just kind of sharing this as my own story as well, because none of us are perfect. I mean, I've noticed that I have to create a context switch to get out of that mode. Otherwise, it's so easy to just keep working. And so this is why people move through their day and skip lunch. If it's not, you know, if they have the opportunity to do it, it's really easy to do. And then we start to wonder why our hormones are downregulated and our metabolism is slowed and all of those things. It's, you know, it's like if we don't have any space for ourselves, and that's the thing, it's like there's so much coming at you all the time. And I have notifications completely turned off, right? Yeah, same. So it's so real quick. So real quick to get to the root of this, right? When people are skipping lunch, when they're not making the time to eat a nourishing breakfast before they walk out the door, when they're loading themselves up with caffeine and not appropriately hydrating themselves and taking time to go and use the restroom, ultimately the root of what is allowing for this behavior to play out is that we don't respect ourselves. We lack the self-respect to know that those basic human needs are essential for us to thrive and be efficient in our daily life and have healthy, supportive relationships. But we haven't been taught that. 
we've been taught that we have to produce, right? It's about producing. You got to go, 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 go. And so it's taken away from our ability to recognize, no, we need to slow down. We need to breathe. We need to be able to connect with the nervous system. Otherwise, over time, our everything is going to suffer and it's going to come at the expense of our health. And we're going to sit back and ask ourselves, how did I get here? How did I get here? I don't understand how this happened. Yeah. And this is trauma trapped in the body. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> okay. All right. So the first step to trauma awareness is to create at least 30 minutes of space by yourself, which is a doable thing, right? Absolutely. We can all do this. And if we mm-hmm. feel like we can't, it's time to stop and ask, but why? But why? But why? But why? Yeah. Okay. After you've identified some traumas, what is the next step officially? So after you've identified trauma, I think that it's important to start taking inventory, okay? And to really try to start connecting the dots and recognizing how when you feel threatened, there's some sort of thing that occurs that basically stimulates your core fear. And then from there, you typically act in a certain way. So by being able to identify what the triggers are that are threatening you, that's the first place to start is, you know, identifying what was it that caused me to want to be defensive right now? What was it that caused me to feel like I want to go run and hide and shut the door and cry in my bed? Like, what was it? What was going on in that time? And from there, we can identify what those different triggers are. So for myself, I have developed what is called like a my own personal needs document, okay? And what I did was really sit down and think about what all of my core fears were. What are these fears? Where are they coming from? And then with these fears... How do I normally behave? If we don't understand how we respond, then we don't know how we can take different action to yield a different result that is more favorable. Does that make sense? No, absolutely. And what I really hear here also is that a journal would be a good tool throughout this. Sitting alone and you're feeling things come up, where are you going to put that? What are you going to do? Shove it back down? If you get it out on paper, there's like there's some science there that we're kind of letting it go. And also it's hard for you to do the next step, which is taking inventory. If you can't put that all out, you know, sometimes when you're talking about things out loud with someone, you solve the problem as you talk through it. It's kind of like that, but if you can write it down, it's substantially different. Yes. So I just want to give you one example of one of these needs that I've created on this document for myself. Okay. Mm -hmm. So one specific is I self betray by sacrificing my own needs, values, and boundaries in order to make others happy for fear that they may not accept me if I express my true self, or it will create some form of conflict. So I have really clearly identified the things that make me feel threatened, that cause me to typically respond in some unhealthy manner. And so when I'm self-betraying and self-sacrificing by putting everyone else's needs first, it creates a lot of resentment and anger within me that then causes me to react or respond in some way that normally that would never happen. I'm looking for like whatever the excuse is to kind of blow. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So the more that we start identifying what those patterns are, what the triggers are and what the patterns are on how we show up, it really helps us to understanding how we can start taking some sort of responsibility to shifting that pattern into a more uh, healthy place. So that's the next piece though. I mean, because you're identifying this pretty serious, very clear couple sentence or two about like what your basic, you know, fear is, why that happens. And that's good to identify it, but it's kind of a negative framework, right? Like it's like, I have this stuff. So then do you turn it positively? Like, I think this is also the question. My next question was really like, how do you start to retrain the brain and reprogram the software? Is it turning this narrative on its head or what happens next? Yeah. So definitely changing the narrative is going to be a component of that. So when we recognize that we start having traumas, a lot of times it can elicit victim mode. 
and we feel like we're the victim. Poor us, poor me. I was a victim for the first 42 years of my life, complete and total victim. And until I realized that I was playing the victim role, I didn't have the ability to really change circumstances. The patterns just kept playing out like the broken record, you know, that had been scratched right back where I started, right back. So with that being said, we have to take the shame and guilt out of it. Okay. Because a lot of times, once we start having the awareness and we recognize that these things were traumas, like for instance, my grandmother, I love this woman till the end of the earth. And when I discovered that she was a root for a lot of the issues that I have, it was really heartbreaking. I I felt so much guilt and shame. Like, no, I can't have these thoughts that grandma contributed to why I'm acting like this, but I'll give you an example. So I got diagnosed with a learning disability at a very early age. And as a result of that, my grandma would say to me when I was young, you know, Heather, it's okay that you're not smart. You're pretty. And because you're pretty, you're always going to find a man who will take care of you. I didn't realize that at a very early age, my grandmother was programming my expectation for self. And so this started to set the belief system into place that, I was not an intelligent person. I wasn't going to have academic success, which meant I probably would not be a professional. However, I was attractive. And because I was attractive, I could at least find a man who would be willing to support me. And unfortunately, that is the road that I took, you know, initially that brought a lot of pain and suffering in the end. And so back in 2018, This was part of why I decided to take that trip into isolation. I was getting ready to go to a job interview and my grandmother came in and said to me, Heather, there's something I need you to understand. I've been praying a lot for you. God has blessed you in many ways in your life. He's blessed you with your looks. He's blessed you with your ability to connect with people. He's blessed you, da, 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 da. But he cannot bless you with love and he cannot bless you with finances. And so in that moment, I was like, all right, here is more, you know, validation that a lot of my limiting beliefs around my potential are rooted right here in these kind of conversations. So I said to her, grandma, that might be your truth. However, that is not mine. And I would appreciate it if you would leave. I had to draw a boundary to protect myself in that time. But there was shame and guilt that came with it because I idolized this woman and didn't want to believe that she was part of the pain and suffering I had experienced in life. So we have to take out that expectation of what someone's role is supposed to be. We have to really like let go of these labels that we attach ourselves to. It's very much like the diagnosis with the autoimmune disease. We just get so attached to these labels and expectations of how those things are supposed to play out that all it does is create more pain and suffering for us in the end because what we've tried to attempt to do doesn't match whatever that expectation is. Does that make sense? Yeah, but this is hard to go through. Did you do this? Did you do this alone? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I actually, I mean, I sought therapy and I utilized different modalities of therapy, you know, energy healing. At the time I had done Reiki work. You know, there were lots of different approaches that I had taken. But to be honest with you, It was really the self-work that I had to do on my own that allowed for me to truly make that transformation. So one thing that I want to really make very clear is that I was programmed in the womb to be in a constant state of fight or flight. My mother was 17 when she got pregnant with me. And at that time in her life, things were not smooth. She had a lot of stuff going on and was in a constant state of stress herself. So all of the hormones that she was releasing were then programming my nervous system for its baseline state, its perceived state of survival. 
So, you know, when I look back at like the evidence and my mom had always told me that I had a lot of allergies and skin issues, digestive issues immediately after birth. And so when I look at this now, it makes sense to me. I understand, okay, my immune system was suppressed in the womb and it contributed to me having a lot of environmental sensitivity to toxins. My immune system was just weakened from being in that constant perceived state of stress. And so the environment that I grew up in served my programmed nervous system. It fit. It didn't know right or wrong. It didn't know healthy or unhealthy. It just knew, oh, this works. This is what I'm used to. So we have to really be open-minded to recognizing that maybe our childhood wasn't as, you know, pleasurable as we like to believe. However, it doesn't mean that mom and dad were wrong. It doesn't mean that mom and dad need to be shamed and guilted. They were just doing the best they could with what they inherited from their environment. So as soon as we have that awareness, that's when we have the ability to then start changing and choosing differently to really have the ability to break those generational traumas. Thanks for bringing that up that it's not really anyone's fault. It's them doing the best they can with what they have, because like you said, we can be in victim mode as we identify traumas. And so I think sometimes as you try to work through this, depending on how you carry it out, it could be challenging with the relationships, which would, if we use your story, depending on how that conversation went, you, it sounded like you drew the boundary clearly and it was not offensive with your grandmother, but what could have happened there is it could have caused, she could have overthought that it could have damaged the relationship, which would have further valued like feelings of unworthiness and poor relationship ability to not be able to hold a relationship. I mean, that's a possibility. You know, we talked about how this was at the very beginning, this can be challenging to put to make tangible stories, help make things tangible for sure. Thank you for sharing so much of yours because it helps people see. It helps people see. And the beauty of it is that through all of those situations and experiences I've had to go through, these have served a purpose in a positive way, because if I had not gone through all of those different challenges and traumas and, and whatnot, I wouldn't be the individual that I am today. I wouldn't have the ability to understand and relate to others and what they too have been through and then have a tangible story that they can see there's hope, there's action, there's things, you know, everything serves a purpose. It's truly up to us to decide whether or not that is a lesson or a blessing, or maybe it's a lesson and a blessing. So it's all about shifting that perspective. And that's where the work comes in. It we have to learn how to redirect the dialogue. And so, you know, one of the things for myself, I hated myself at a very early age, I started kindergarten the day after my fourth birthday. So developmentally, I wasn't ready to be in school, but my parents needed childcare. And this was the most affordable option, public school system. And so I started getting picked on. I didn't, you know, I did not feel very safe. I have a very specific trauma that I experienced in kindergarten that I shared on one of my podcasts. And I didn't realize how this specific trauma played a role in my thoughts around me being able to be successful as a career woman and having love in my life. So there was a very specific thing that happened to me in kindergarten. I'm just going to be transparent with the audience, okay? When I was a child, I would hump myself in order to fall asleep at night. This was my coping skill. This was my self like self-soothing coping skill. So when I started kindergarten and the teacher says, you know, go lay down, it's nap time. I did what I always did. And that was grab the blanket and start humping the blanket until I would fall asleep. Well, the teacher immediately came and grabbed me and started screaming and yelling at me, took me out into the hallway and told me I was a terrible person. Called my mom, told my mom what had happened. So then my mom had to have a talk with me telling me that this was not okay. It was really bad. Shame on me. So ultimately, this was one of the major traumas that contributed to my own sexual health 
But what I ended up discovering was not only did it impact my sexual health, it had an impact on my ability to receive pleasure, period. So that means receiving a gift from someone, being able to entertain a sexual relationship and have pleasure from that. This shaming that I experienced in kindergarten had major consequences that played out in multiple different ways in my life. And it wasn't until I was 44 years old that I discovered that and was able to then go back and start healing that and redirecting that energy into a more serving place. Oh man, it's like intense, right? And I don't know if there's another word for this, but the work, right? And people talk about the work, but it's nice. It is good to hear about, you know, Everything. I mean, we'd heard a fragment of your life story, but it has really helped bring it very tangibly. So there are so many places to go from here, but I'm going to summarize a little bit with some of the steps, right? Because we want to kind of like take some inventory in general of the episode here and say like, okay, what is something you can do today (laughs) that will be helpful to you, right? Because it's like, oh my gosh, my brain exploded throughout this episode. But the first step could be can you identify 30 minutes by yourself? And I I like how you tied it to mealtime. It's such a common thing to be like just autopilot kind of checking things, you know, not really taking time to rest and digest or activate parasympathetic nervous system, which means you're not going to digest, get nutrients. Like you're not going to like the side effects that come from that long-term. So identifying those 30 minutes by yourself to like let things bubble up. I'm going to add to the what you said that if things are coming up, it would probably be good to write it down. But I'm a little biased on writing things down. I think it's a good idea to have this opportunity, this space. It's so common to just skip meals. And then after that, take inventory of what's bubbling up. You have this needs document that's got these core fears where they come from, how you normally behave. That's like, that's some deep stuff right there that you can continue to uncover. And then from there... My question was, how do we start to retrain the brain or reprogram the software? And I didn't take notes on how that looks. So why don't you fill in that blank for me on step one there as kind of the third step here? Because that's the most important piece is like, how do you shift this? Right. So this is where we have an opportunity to really identify the perspective that we're coming from and being able to shift that perspective into a place that's going to feel better in our own physical body. So for instance, if I'm coming from something very deep into victim mode, how am I being the victim? Identify how am I being victim right now? Is victim serving me? And then being able to have the ability to redirect that thought somewhere else. So for instance, anytime my financial situation feels unstable, that's a huge threat for me that really goes back to a lot of limiting beliefs around scarcity and growing up in poverty and feeling lack, right? Just not good enough. And so I recognize, and I'll just give you an example. I had to get new tires put on my car a couple months ago. I knew that the tires needed to be replaced. They were bald. Luckily, I live in California and we don't have a lot of rain. So I knew this needed to happen, but I didn't want to allocate the time. And then my boyfriend says one day, hey, we're not going to go do this. We're going to go get new tires on your car. And I was infuriated. And so I'm in my car, I'm driving to the tire place and I'm like so pissed off. I'm like, oh, this is going to be a really fun date day. Let me tell you. And then that's when I recognized what I was doing. And I was like, Heather, What's the root of the problem here? Oh, you don't want to spend the money. Okay. All right. I'm seeing you. You are feeling threatened by having to spend the money for the new tires. How can we shift this? Well, I shifted it by focusing on gratitude. Thank God I have the money in my checking account to purchase these new tires. Thank God I have the ability to go and get tires changed on my own terms. I'm not on the side of the highway stranded somewhere with a flat tire waiting for AAA to come. And now I'm late for whatever XYZ thing I was supposed to be at. So I get to control circumstances. As soon as you start really trying to do this, all of a sudden it just starts coming to you and you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Next thing I know, boyfriend shows up. I drop car off. I'm in the best mood. I thank him immensely for putting me in a position to have to take the time to do this because it's only going to benefit me and we have an excellent date day. So it's really about trying to recognize when you're in that emotional state, 
how it's making you feel. Is it serving me or not? Am I playing victim? And how can I shift that into better dialogue, new self-talk? I love it. You need some space alone to identify where you're at. You got to take some inventory. It's going to be a little bit difficult to do that. So take some paper. And then from there, don't spiral. If you start to react as you normally have forever, like to stop the spiral, shift the perspective to gratitude, which is part of that neuro reprogramming, right? Which is something that you help people with. I know you have a free webinar on retraining your brain. Heather, I mean, this is like a deep thing and we want some tools to work on these pieces because we all have neural pathways that we could improve. So how can people find you online or where can they start? So you can find me on everything as Heather Duranja. So it's my first and last name. It's D-E-R-A-N-J-A. I have a website, social media. I'm I'm most active on Instagram. That's kind of my favorite platform to play around on. But you can still find me at Facebook. I've got a YouTube channel as well where I, you know, do a lot of interviews with professionals in the field and just kind of collect all of the different tools. And we're all very different. So it's not a one size fit all approach. There are going to be things that are going to connect with one individual that really are tangible and help them make that transition a lot sooner than other people. So be open-minded, you know, not one thing like my approach is not necessarily going to be the fix for every single person out there. We're all very different. So giving ourselves the permission to know that is a, a key piece as well, setting realistic expectations. So yeah, you can find me at Heather Duranja and I have a free webinar that you can download that kind of introduces you to more of the sciencey stuff on how we've gotten where we're at and some tangible things that we can start to do. It really does boil down to consistency and setting realistic expectations. Typically, we've been taught that it takes 21 days to change a behavior, but what we've learned is that it typically takes about 66 days to have the ability to grow that new neuroplasticity that will allow for the old subconscious to now shift over to this new autopilot place that serves us better. And I will be honest with you, it's such a phenomenal feeling when you have the awareness to recognize you've shifted over. I was having a conversation with the naturopathic doctor recently where I was explaining to them a situation that I encountered where a person slammed on their brakes in front of me and the old Heather would have immediately gone into a back state of stress, you know, heart literally beating so fast, feeling like it's going to come out the other end of me. So I go through this in, this incident and the whole time I'm calm, my heartbeat stays the same. I'm like, oh, wow, that just happened. So I'm talking to the doctor and I'm like, is something wrong with me? Like, am I like just completely burnt out? Do my adrenals not work at all anymore? Like what is happening? And she starts laughing and she says, well, honestly, she goes, you might be one of the lucky few who actually really have control of their nervous system response. And you've trained your body well enough to know it's going to be fine. No need to overreact. It's going to be fine. And for me, that was a really exciting moment to have because that used to be such a debilitating part of my everyday life. And I think what's fun about that is that despite everything you have, sometimes it's hard to see the label on the bottle. And she pointed out what you intuitively knew, really. Yeah. I mean, that happens to all of us. So just right. pointing out that sometimes, sometimes it's nice to ask. <laughs> sometimes it's nice <laughs> to get that opinion. And luckily, she guided you in the right direction, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, I can't help but wonder, that's a beautiful place to end. But you know, I have to bring this question in because when you told that story, it brought back memories of me riding with people who have, you know, the like traditional response. And what would you say to someone when they are surrounded by someone who's not doing work? How do you put up that shield and that barrier? Is it just the awareness? Like I have to put up a shield on this. Like I cannot handle this. I'm going to remove this from my life as much as possible. 
Yeah. And so unfortunately, that is a reality of this process is to start identifying how others are impacting you emotionally and energetically. And if you don't like the way that you're feeling and you have expressed your needs and those needs are not being met and honored then that's where we do have to make some really tough decisions. I had a girlfriend that I loved more than anything in the world. My heart broke for her because she just had one heartache after another with life and all components of everything, professionally and personally. And whenever she would come over, my nervous system would be on overload listening to her complaint. And so finally, I realized that I was actually playing a role in supporting her unhealthy habits. And that was just sitting there and listening endlessly to her complaining. And so finally, I decided that I needed to intervene and change because I didn't like the way it was making me feel. So then you're going to laugh. So I purchased this guy, okay? says good vibes only. And so when she would come over and she would start to complain, I'd start. (laughs) Nope. Nope. And so I started distracting her with the noise. And then it made, it really helped her in a way because it really helped with self-awareness about how much she was complaining. And it got to a point where she had to decide either I have to choose to not talk about all of these tragic, unfortunate things, or I just can't go over there anymore. And so she did shift behavior slightly, but boundaries weren't honored. And that's when I had to really draw the hard line and say, I want to still have a friendship with you, but the terms are going to have to be a little bit different. And she was no longer allowed to have just free access to come over anymore and, and things of that nature. So it can be a challenge, but in the end, it's going to be the best thing that you ever chose to do because you're going to lighten up. You're going to feel this sense of freedom. You're going to be able to take a deeper breath. You're going to be in control of your nervous system. I love it. Thanks so much for coming on today and Sharon being so transparent about your story. Oh, it's my pleasure. I believe, you know, again, all of the things serve a purpose. And so I've let go of that shame and the embarrassment around a lot of things that I once harbored. It is my truth. It is my reality. I'm owning it because it helped me get to where I am today. And I am so grateful. I am so, I feel so blessed and so fortunate to be here and to have the ability to do the work that I do like yourself to help others start living their best lives. Sharing and reviewing this podcast is the best way to help us succeed with our mission to help integrate the best of East and West and empower you to raise the bar on your health story. Just go to reviewthispodcast.com forward slash less stressed life. That's reviewthispodcast.com forward slash less stressed life and you'll be taken directly to a page where you can insert your review and hit post.